This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. 1988, you're the first inductee into the Angels Hall of Fame. Uh, and you played there a lot of years. You played there from 77 to the end of your career. And uh, what do you remember about Gene Autry? Because at the time, it was the California Angels. It's since been the Anaheim Angels. Now it's the LA Angels. You work for the Angels uh, uh, currently. Uh, what do you remember about the Cowboy? Uh, he was... Uh... He was great. He loved baseball. He just loved the game. He loved being an owner. Always smiling. Always had a smile on his face. Uh, he would come out to spring training uh, uh, out, in, out in Palm Springs. We'd have an annual dinner with the uh, Chamber of Commerce of Palm Springs. And he, would, he would talk a little bit and uh, go around and meet everybody. And then he would make a point of just about, just about every road trip that we went on, especially if it was extended two-week road trip, he would come down the second game uh, during the time between batting practice, uh, actually um, uh, between infield and the start of the game from 7 to 7.30, he would come through and just say hello to everybody and make a point of coming down. He had that, he had a beautiful uh, cowboy suit on, you know, a suit with a bolo tie, and he always had a different pair of, uh, of, uh, you know, lizard cowboy boots. Uh, and he was dressed like a Hollywood star. He was just a great guy, just loved the game, let us play. He never uh, was really that active. He let the general manager do his thing. He let the manager do his thing, but um, just loved the ball game, and, and he was a huge, huge fan. Another thing is that there was the owner suite that's still there today. It's just the same as when he was uh, a manager. They didn't change that. It's, that was one of the things that Jackie Autry put into a contract, I think, when when Disney bought it from – the Autrys, and then that that stays in perpetuity until until Jackie Autry uh, passes away. Is that the owner suite stays the same? So it's got all these black and white photographs from the '61, '62 team and whatnot when he first took over. It's a, it's a cool it's a cool owner suite, 
And so anyway, I'd be at second base and I'd look up uh, and on day games, sunny day games, uh, Richard Nixon would come in from the from the uh, the Western White House at San Clemente. And he, he was always in a suit and tie, dark suit, and, you know, dark, uh, dark suit with a tie on. And G, and Gianacci would be up there in his cowboy suit and they'd be right there sitting together and they would be drinking these big, tall lemonades with, I think, a little vodka in it, you know, and 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 Gianacci would be keeping score. He would write down every single pitch. I mean, he was into the game and uh, he was he would score keep every single game. And and uh, and uh, Richard Nixon was a big fan also would come down the locker room as well. And so we uh, had a lot of fun with both those guys. 79, first time in the playoffs for the Angels. You and Richard Nixon, what'd you do to him? Yeah, so so uh, Nixon came in the locker room a couple times. And he came over and he was always talkative to me. And he told me I was his favorite player. He said, I love watching you play, Bobby. He said, you're a California boy. I'm from Whittier. And we'd talk about that a little bit. You know, he was local guy, right, from, from uh, Whittier College right there. And uh, so I got I got to know him a little bit. And I was kidding around with him. Well, in 79, we win the Western Division for the first time in Angels history. We come in the locker room and champagne everywhere. And there was an entrance that if you went if you're from the owner's suite, you come down the elevator, you come through the trainer's room and you could walk into the locker room from a side entrance. So there's champagne going all over the place. And uh, Richard Nixon uh, and Gene Autry walk in. And Jimmy Anderson happened to go by like this. And he, he squirted both of them with champagne. You know, and they looked at each other and they went, ah, that was great. So they just kind of walked in more to just sort of revel with everybody. And I saw it and I went, gosh, I got to get Richard Dixon, you know. So I looked for a, a bottle of champagne, but it was all gone. There was no more champagne, but there was a big tub of Budweiser beer that was still there. So I went over and I grabbed a can of Bud and I went like this and I saw a, 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 a photographer, a photographer. And he goes like this, let's get him, let's get him. So I walked over behind Richard Nixon and I popped that bud and I said, I said, President Nixon, I said, this bud's for you. And I poured this can of bud over his head and it went right down that ski nose of his, like this, <laughs> this little stream of beer came off like that. And I'm just, I'm just laughing and he's laughing. And a guy on AP wire uh, took that photograph and it went all over the wire across the country. And I had friends of mine from the Atlanta Journal, uh, the Baltimore Sun, the Washington Post, all over the place. It was on the front page uh, of a lot of papers across country of me pouring that beer over his head. But it was in a lot, a lot of sport pages, you know, sport, sports pages. And so I have that photograph in my office out there. It's a great photograph. And uh, oh, so here's an added story to that. So that was 79. Well, he and I laughed about it later. You know, it was all in fun. And then he comes about 19, he moved to New York and about 1984 or something like that, or 85, uh, we're in the locker room getting ready for the game. We just got there early, just getting ready to go on the field for batting practice. And uh, locker room guy comes in and he goes, uh, hey, he goes, uh, Richard Nixon's coming in to say hello to you guys. And I went, oh, cool. And so the door opens up and he has a um, uh, you know security guy with him. And, and he looks around and he goes, Where's Bobby Gritch? You know, like that. <laughs> I go, Mr. Brett, right over here. He says, come over here, son. And so I walked over to him, and, and he put his arm around me like this. He goes, son, he goes, I want you to know I got good, I got more good publicity from that photograph of you pouring a beer over my head than any of my press secretaries 
ever got for me. He said, I should have hired you as my press secretary. So we had a good laugh and, and uh, it was just good to see him when he was back in New York. And he, he had, you know, his health was going down at that time, but he still was a great baseball fan. Very cool. Uh, Anaheim, man, has it, that, that stadium's changed so much over the years. I remember early years, it was the big A. Yeah. It was open, then they closed it in. Now Disney came in, and, and currently Artie Moreno's team, it looks different. By the way, it was, as a player, my favorite yard to play in. Anytime we're coming to Anaheim to play the Angels, I didn't care. I'm like, I don't know whether it felt like I was coming home, the atmosphere, yeah. but whatever it was about, you know, and I still called it the Big A back then, when it yeah. had changed into the Disney. Uh, yeah. But but I loved it. Um, it's a great ballpark. I love it, too. It's my favorite. I mean, I, it's I'm, awesome. It's just a great place to play. I mean, if uh, I, I just as soon as I could become a free agent, man, I just I just begged my agent. I said, please get me out to California. I want to play for the Angels. And you kind of went full your your tenure in Anaheim uh, spanned ten years and different groups. You know, you started off the Nolan Ryan years, I believe. Yep. Uh, you moved on, and and my childhood years was you know you had uh, Carew early. Uh, Reggie stayed on through the end of your career, yep. but you had a, you had a bunch of different guys coming in that, that last run in, in, uh, what was it? 86 Wally Joyner came on the scene. Uh, yep. you had Devon white, you know, Mike Witt, a young Mike Witt, an older Don Sutton. So it changed 82. Yep. You, you go to the playoffs, you lose to Harvey's Wallbangers. I remember that. I remember it vividly. Then you get to 86. I want to talk about that series because it's the Donnie Moore pitch. It's the Henderson home run. And I remember I was a kid there and I was in a suite down the left field line. Yep. And people forget that wasn't the final game. When he hit that home run, it wasn't over yet. You still had, I believe it was game seven to go to. Uh, we that had just, we, that was game five. So we had two games back in Boston. Right. Everybody thinks when he hit the home run, that was it. That wasn't it. But I remember being down the left field line in a suite watching you guys getting down to that final strike, final out. And I remember a guy next to me, we we're betting like uh, how many, how many, how many hands is Bob Boone going to hold up when Donnie Moore strikes out Hindu right here. Next thing you know, he hits the Homer and it's over. Take me through that in your, in your, at you being a player. Well, let's see. Yeah, that was uh, okay. That's the top of the ninth. And uh, Mike Witt is pitching. Uh, I think we're ahead by, two runs if i'm not mistaken like five to three or something like that or four to two uh anyway uh donnie baylor hits a home run uh and then uh there's one out and then uh dwight evans comes up and uh mike witt gets him out on a fly ball and then uh rich gedman's coming up so now we got two outs uh uh i don't know nobody on um, but now we're, now it's four to three. I think we're ahead by one run and, uh, four to three or five to four or something. And so, um, uh, Jim Mock comes out of the dugout and everybody's booing and, uh, Gedman, uh, had, had gone three for three with a home run, a double and a ball that was about this far from going up over the fence for a second home run, he had hit three rockets off of wit rockets two, you know, almost two home runs in a double. And uh, so he's coming out 
and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're the manager. What do you do here? And I look back in the bullpen. I saw uh, Gary Lucas was warming up. Uh, I kind of, you know, the the thing that pisses pisses me off really bad is that we didn't have Chuck Finley. Chuck Finley was a beast. Had he had a better September, and here's where I think Mock, in my own humble opinion, was not a good manager. He could have coddled. He could have coddled or supported uh, Chuck Finley the last two weeks of September to where he would have been a tool for us in the playoffs. He, he would have been the difference in the playoffs, Chuck Finley. Had Mock supported him and guided him under his wing and settled him down and just got him to throw strikes, instead he intimidated him and he made, he made him feel comfortable. He yelled at him when he, when he threw a wild pitch and stuff, and it was just the worst thing that I think Mock could have done to a young player who just came up. There's an instance right there that, that I don't think was good managing, just my own opinion that I saw. And I've talked to Finley about this since, and he totally agreed with me. He said, Mock was all over my case, man. He's, I was just, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he did to not make me feel comfortable. So let's just say, let's just say Finley's settled down and throwing strikes. You bring Finley in to face Gedman, it's freaking over. It is yeah. over. All he has to do is throw strikes. Because Gedman hit like 170 or 180 off left-handers. And so anyway, so he went, he went out to the veteran, Gary Lucas, who hadn't thrown for us all year, Harley. He was with us for a lot long in the season, but I bet he had, I don't know if he had eight innings in, in, in three months. So anyway, Lucas comes in this pressure pack situation against a left-hander. Uh, I talked to Mock about this later at a golf tournament. I said, I said, what was your thinking on, on uh, Gedman there? And, and he said, you know, he said, I've got in my book that he was 0 for 4 off of Gedman, two strikeouts, a ground ball, second base, and ground ball, the pitcher. He had never hit a ball out of the infield off of, off of Lucas. So that was the matchup. And so he brings in uh, Lucas. I remember playing first base because Wally Joyner had a staph infection and he was out. That also hurt us. That really hurt us because uh, they had some, they had oil can, they had uh, Stanley, uh, and then they had uh, uh, um, 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 uh, the, the big, the big rocket. Clemens. Yeah, rocket Clemens. And Joyner from the left side would have put us over. I, I do. It would have helped us tremendously in that series. We missed Joyner. So I, I was playing first base. I look back, and he's bringing in Gary Lucas. And I said, okay, you're the manager right now, Gritch. What, what do you do? And I said to myself, I bring in a left-hander. I remember, I remember asking myself that question, and I said, you call it now, big boy. What do you do? I said, I bring in the left-hander to myself. And everybody was booing and yakka yakka. So Witt goes out, and Lucas comes in, and he hits Gedman with the first pitch. He was nervous. He, was not, he hasn't been pitching much. He wasn't in a slot. He wasn't. So it was just an unusual time to bring in a guy that just wasn't your, he wasn't your closer during the year. He wasn't your go-to guy uh, anywhere in September. You got to, you know, you, you need to use the guys who were in pressure situations coming down the wire for you. And that came through for you when you had a three game lead with five games to go or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? And that guy performed for you with with the pressure on him. And Lucas wasn't uh, hadn't been tested. And he kind of was put on that pressure spot right there without really being pressure tough, you know, and threw a while, you know, hit him in the first pitch. And so now he's got to go to the right hander because now you have um, David Henderson coming up. So now you got to go to uh, our closer, Donnie Moore, 
Now, an added thing here is Donnie Moore had been struggling with a sore arm all second half of the season, and he had actually had a cortisone shot after the game the night before in his shoulder. And you're supposed to give that pitcher 24 hours. And the, the, what it was supposed to be was Donnie Moore gets a shot after the game the night before. He doesn't pitch that day. Then we travel. We go back to Boston if we had to. And then he'd be ready for the last two games in Boston. Well, Mock, he, called, he said, get Donnie Moore up, you know, when he went out to get Lucas off. And, and everybody kind of, what's, what's Donnie Moore doing? Now? He's not supposed to be pitching today. So Moore's out there cranking it up. Sure enough, he hits Gedman. Now he's got to bring in Donnie Moore, who is 12 hours off of a cortisone shot, not feeling good. But he still pitched admirably. And he got to a 2-2 count. And I don't know if it was a forkball or a slider. I think it was a forkball in the outside corner. I mean, it's right on the black. It wasn't a bad pitch. I talked to my dad about this. I said, Dad, it wasn't like it was some hanging forkball in the middle of the plate. He went down and scooped it. Yeah, he reached way out. He reached out. He had to go out and get it. It was right on the black. So you've got to give David Henderson, uh, you know, credit for hitting a good pitch. And he's as strong, he's as, strong as a bull. And he uh, hit it over the left field fence. And uh, that's, you know, that's the way it goes. So um, you can, I can carry on a little longer, but that's enough of that story. But anyway... Because uh, we tie the game, and and then we we don't put it away in the bottom of the ninth. We have bases loaded, and I and Doug Sensei came up with bases loaded off of uh, uh, Crawford, who threw a nasty little sinker, <clears throat> and and Doug comes up uh, one out, bases loaded, and Crawford jammed him. He didn't get quite enough of the barrel. He hit a medium, uh, a medium fly ball to right center, which was not deep enough to score from third, and I came up with two outs off of Crawford. I, I was sort of, you know, I was a little bit of a close stance. I had trouble sometimes on good sinkers down and in because I'm trying to battle it off to right center or up the middle. And so uh, there was a noise. The people were going crazy, and he missed badly with his first pitch. He threw a sinker that was out of the strike zone. I thought, you know, he's, he shook up. He shook up here. He's going to – he might walk me. And he threw another ball, and the count went to 2-0. and oh. And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to – he can't throw a strike right now. He's got nerves going. I said, I'm just going to kind of get down a crotch and a crouch and just see what I can do. Anyway, he just didn't He just said, I'm just going to throw a straight fastball. He threw this nothing fastball right down the middle. And I'm kicking myself in the rear end because I'm thinking he's going to try and throw a nasty slider. He might go three and oh, now the pressure is really on him. If I would have been thinking a little more aggressively, I should have said, don't swing unless it's a cookie fastball, then rip it. Right. I just wish if I'd have been in that frame of mind, I can see that pitch as clearly as I'm talking to you right now that I think I could have handled that pitch and done something with it. And then I just, I'm so mad at myself because I didn't do that. Anyway, he threw me a really nasty sinker the next pitch and jammed the heck out of me. And I barely got it to the back of the pitcher. He, just, he got way down on the barrel about the trademark and I couldn't fight it out of there. And, that, and so I pop up and that's it. But I'll see that pitch until my dying days. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We all have, we have certain moments where we're just like, man, just give me a one do over one do over. Um, Great career. I mean, you, you're you're a six-time All-Star. You won four gold gloves uh, in your Oriole days. You talk about the one thing before I let you go that I wanted to, to ask you is, when you came to the big leagues, you talked about those the Boog Powells and the Brooks Robinson and the Frank Robinson uh, when you were coming up. Did anybody take you under their wing as a young Bobby Gritch? And then... Fast forward to when you're a veteran, Bobby Gritch, 
Did you return that favor? Did you pay that forward? Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Nobody really took me under their wing per se, but I will have to say I give a lot of credit to uh, Mark Belanger and Davey Johnson. Um, I'm competing for either shortstop or second base. Either one of those guys, I'm trying to take their job. But they were so professional and they helped me and they both just told me where to play certain guys. And they told me uh, about it, you know, like every night when I came to the big leagues, every single umpire had a different strike zone. It was really stupid. It was crazy nuts. That's why I love the strike zone thing today is that I had to get a scouting report on the umpire we're facing that night because the guy's either a high ball umpire or he was a low outside umpire, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So Belanger, whose locker was sitting right next to mine, and Davey Johnson, who was just about five away, you know, we would sort of banner about what's going on that night. So I, I have to say those two guys didn't exactly take me under my wing, but they were very professional about helping me. That was the Oriole way. That was just the Oriole way. It was a very team-oriented uh, organization led by Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson and Boog Powell. Boog Powell, when I first got there, came right over and he named me uh, Garuki. He goes, you're Bobby Gritch, the Garuki. So everybody called me the Garuki. And so uh, he said, hey, uh, first Sunday day game we have, I'm taking you out for crabs. And so uh, he did. I had never had steamed crabs before. I didn't know anything about them. And that was a real tradition in Baltimore. So Boog Powell and his wife, Chan, uh, took me over to a place called Bo Brooks, and we went out for steam crabs the first Sunday, Sunday day game we had, and I got introduced to steam crabs, and I've loved them ever since. But everybody was, uh, you know, nobody gave me a bad time, that's for sure. It was a good team spirit, uh, and I try to carry that on as a player later. When, when we had guys called up uh, my last year in 76, I was single at the time. I had a nice house. I took in three guys for the month of September at my house. I said, come on, you guys are going to come out and live in my house with me. So uh, Bobby Baylor was one of them. Uh, Mike, um, oh, gosh, uh, 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 the left-hand pitcher who was a general manager for them for a while, and then one other player. So, you know, I tried to make them feel comfortable. Uh, so that was my way of returning it. And I always did the same thing when when I was with Anaheim. Um I can't think of guys' names right now, but I always always did that for young players because I knew and I remembered how tough it was to break in, how intimidated you can be, and you need somebody to just calm you down, just, hey, it's everything's cool, just don't worry about it, it's, just, it's the same game, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I always try to carry that on, but, uh, but I'd say Brooksy and, and Mark, Mark uh, Blanger and David Johnson were very professional guys with the Orioles. I love asking this question to guys that weren't in my generation. You know, I started in the early 90s. You ended in the late late 80s. Best hitter you ever played with or against from your generation? Wow, let's see. Well, the best singles hitter was Rod Carew. Rod Carew. The best hitter for batting average was Rod Carew. Uh, Reggie Jackson could carry a team for a week. I played with him in Baltimore when he came in during that free agent year. 
and I think he hit a home run in six straight games or something like that. And then another time he got hot and literally put us on his shoulders and carried us for like a week. When he came out to Anaheim, uh, he was a bit older. Uh, he wasn't the force that he was in Oakland uh, or involved that year, but he was still a presence uh, in your, in your, on your team as a leader, as a bulldog. Uh, but best hitters, uh, oh man, George Brett. George Brett for clutch hitting. Uh, gosh, who else could I go to here? Name some more guys that you might think of. <laughs> Well, we'll go. We'll we'll go to the we'll go to the other side, and you can play with or against them. That one guy, either you don't want to face or you want on the mound, game seven. That one pitcher. Oh, on the mound could have been a teammate or could have been somebody you played against. Who's Bobby Gritch is the skipper. You got one inning to shut somebody down. Who are you going to? Everybody you've ever played with or against. One game in the playoffs. One game. I go with Jim Palmer. Okay. Fair. I've, I've, I had a feeling it would be, it might be him. It might be him. Jim Palmer was, I think he won 20 games five times. Uh, he was the go-to guy in the playoffs. He's going to give you nine innings. He is going to uh, be in the game. He's, he's a great fielding pitcher. He's smart. He doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he was, uh, I think he's underrated. People don't realize how great he was. And uh, if I have one guy to go to, I want Palmer on the mound, and um, that's my pick. Uh, what are you doing for the, uh, with the Angels currently? What's oh, I just have an alumni go-to guy. Hey, I'm going to make one more comment about a pitcher. Yep. My favorite guy, my all-time favorite guy to play behind yeah. was Mike Cuellar. Mike Cuellar I, was, uh, was from Baltimore. Cuba. Yeah. Played with him in Baltimore. He won the Cy Young Award one time. If he could have spoken English, I think he would have won it twice, but the reporters couldn't talk to him because he couldn't speak English. That guy was amazing. I mean, I, I used to love when he pitched because he had five pitches, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, and screwball, all five pitches. He could throw them at different speeds, and he could pinpoint where he wanted to throw each and every one of those pitches. And it was amazing to watch him pitch. He had a, and he had a big slow curveball that took forever to get there. Uh, he used to drive uh, Dick Allen crazy and, you know, with the white Sox. Yeah. Uh, he punched Dick Allen out uh, three times one night in a, in a real windy night in Comiskey park. And, you know, Allen was just doing like spins, right? Like, you know, like a cartoon character going into the ground, waiting for that big curveball and big screwball. He finally, his last time up, he finally waited on a big screwball and he hit the ball over the uh, uh, over the, the Grandstand Pavilion in Comiskey Park, one of the longest balls I've ever seen hit in my life. But Mike Cuellar was really a magician and an artist. He was so much fun to play behind. Your time with the with the Angels now. Uh, you've got a you've got a you had a chance. You've been with him for a while uh, to kind of watch Mike Trout grow up. Uh, so you've got to see him play a lot. And another thing I got to ask you, Shohei. <laughs> Shohei <laughs> Otani, the last three years uh, from this seat right here, uh, I am absolutely in awe, Bobby. I never thought in my wildest dreams We'd see what we're seeing. I know he just got hurt with the, you know, he hurt his UCL. Probably going to have to have surgery this offseason. Um, 
But if 10 years ago you would have come to me and said, Booney, there's going to be this guy. He's going to come from Japan. He's going to pitch, and he's going to hit. And by the way, he's not going to just pitch. He's going to pitch at an all-star level. Yeah. And he's going to hit at an all-star level. Yeah. I'd say you're crazy. I'd say it's too hard at the big league level to do both. You know what we have to go through as position players to play 162 games. It's a lot. Now, on the side, you know, we have our pitchers who, who we don't pay much attention to, but they're doing their band work in between starts. Now, if you would have said one day, ah, there might be a two-way guy that's a really good hitter and he gives you an inning in the pen once in a while, I right. might buy into that as, you know, as we go forward in, in life and, and the athletes get better and better. But to see what I'm seeing right now, it's almost like I don't believe I'm seeing it at the yeah. level that he's doing it at. And the only thing for me as a, as a baseball fan is it's almost too good to be true. Like, yeah. Can he be this good? And by the way, just throws in 25 stolen bases on top of everything. So it's amazing. Briefly, and I'll let you go, touch a little bit on, on watching Trout grow up and, and just what you're seeing uh, the last two, three years from Shohei Otani. Yeah, uh, you know, I realize that we're seeing something that'll, that I, I got to doubt ever going to happen again. But in this world today, I mean, who knows? But I tell you, I just don't think we'll ever see it again. Uh, we certainly haven't seen it in the last 150 years. So it might be another 100 years or something before, you know, and it, it, it takes a, um, like an incredible body to begin with. Uh, it takes uh, incredible strength, coordination, athletic ability, all the things. I mean, his body is, is a perfect athletic body. I mean, he's 6'3 or 6'4. He's got about a, you know, about a 34-inch waist or something. His shoulders go straight up. His second year with us, I was in spring training, and I, uh, I, I was in a dugout during a spring training game, and I was sitting next to the trainer, and I said, hey, are we going to get him on a, on a weight program? Because he was kind of slender, you know, a little bit. And, and he, goes, he goes, are you kidding me? I go, what? What do you mean? He said he's already the second strongest player on the team next to Trout. He said he lives in the weight room. I go, you're kidding me. So that was the second year we had him. So he's dedicated. He's uh, built himself up. Uh, I think he's been real smart about building himself up because being a pitcher, you got to maintain your flexibility. So, um, I, I th you know, I fear that Trout went a tad too much. You know, I, that's, I, it's an, I, and I'm sorry to see that because uh, he's such an incredible player too. I mean, one of the best ever. And now it just seems that, you know, maybe he got – too muscle bound. I don't, I don't know. I, I hope not. I just, I want to see him have a healthy career the rest of the way, but uh, Shohei is not getting that way. And I think the reason he's not because he is a pitcher. And so you cannot put on too much uh, bulk because you need the flexibility with your shoulders and arms, but two fantastic players. We've been so blessed here in, in California to see these guys play, even though our team hasn't been doing well, the ball game has still been extremely uh, interesting I uh, still record every game. I go back in the highlights, even if I'm not at the ballpark that night. So it's been a real treat as an, as an Angels fan here to to have uh, Artie Marino do his best to bring two great players here. You know, Artie's tried his tried his tail off to bring good players here. It hasn't worked out. It's been unlucky. It's been nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, you know, I mean, who would think that Rendon would, would would have the problems that he's had after the three years that he had just before we signed him? Right. You looked at the three years he had before we signed him. They were MVP years, and then all of a sudden he comes here and he just got a rash of injuries. It's just, it's just freaky. It's freaky weird. So 
it's not Artie's fault. It's just some bad luck, you know, unfortunately. But as I say, we've had Shohei and we've had Mike Trout. So it's been it's been great being an Angels fan just because of those two guys. Yeah, and the Rendon thing. I mean, Rendon's one of the the big reasons that the, that the Nationals won that World Series in, in right. 2019. He's come over. He's been riddled with injuries. Bobby Gretsch, I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, this was a lot of fun catching up. We'll play golf soon. I don't know when, yeah. but we'll play golf soon. We've been talking off off camera about uh, my golf swing changes I'm making, and uh, I, man, I, I just got to start putting better, but. To all you out there watching or listening to the Boom Podcast, I appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Bobby. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 